Welcome to B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper, brought to you by True. For too long, B2B has lacked creativity and inspiration, leading to alarming declines in effectiveness and marketing departments being slowly devalued more and more within their organizations. We're here to change that by getting under the skin of what it really means to be a highly effective B2B marketer. We'll be speaking to some of the brightest minds in the industry to discuss what they're doing to be a bit more, well, Don Draper. And now, here's your host, Stuart Black. Joining us today on B2B Needs Don Draper is Mark Schwakey, author of the new book, Boring to Brave. Mark was formerly the editor of Marketing Week magazine and has spent over 20 years at the heart of B2B marketing. Over that time, he's helped grow more than 50 B2B technology companies right across the world. So Mark Schwakey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stu. Lovely to be with you. First off then, what does being a bit more Don Draper mean to you? I think it's about... um bringing a different perspective to proceedings. So, you know, in, in in the show, Mad Men, you had Roger Sterling and you had Pete Campbell. And you had even kind of, to a certain degree, a little bit more unpolished, but a bit more sort of like an ancient old whiskey. You had Burt Cooper and, and, and you had Ken Cosgrove. All these guys could do the same thing. They could do the very shiny, charming account guy thing. They could take people out for meals. They could buy people with drinks. They had the real smile gift of the gab thing going on. And that's important in an ad agency in the 1950s and 60s. But Don and Peggy, and, and for me, Peggy's the other you know key hero of that show, they bought something far more ethereal, something valuable, something rare, something everybody respected and nobody else could get near. And it was a, it was it was a very very confident, different perspective, um, and I say confident. That's important because you know, in a way, many B two B marketers find themselves on the wrong end of an inferiority complex. It's like we've got an institutionalized timidity. But those guys, Don Draper, was not afraid of presenting his different take. You know, whether it was lipsticks or cigarettes or whatever. You know, even when the client pushed back, he was unafraid how it made him look. They'd say, you know, you don't know the core of my business. And he would double down. Everyone else knew the gift, the value of their contribution. But they did too. They were fiercely confident of their thing. Um, and it, it, and, and that, that's part of what I'm trying to get to with B2B marketing. Mm, absolutely. So if it's coming from that authentic part of your personality, then how can it be wrong? Yeah, I mean, look, as you grow up through business, you don't certainly don't start this way. I would defy anyone to real uh, really understand um, at a very young age in the very first jobs that they do. But as you grow older, you understand and realise that everybody nobody knows the answer. Everybody's in a sense winging it, and and that's not as glib or pithy as it sounds. Everybody is with the best information and the best filtering of that information and the best data, making an educated guess as to what strategy they go for. And because loads and loads of people fail, loads of businesses don't do well or don't make it or have a tough year and have to pivot, you understand, well, hang on, that wasn't then the right answer. That was a guess. And so if everybody's guessing and everybody's using their instinct after really um, informing themselves and doing the research, why not me? Why not you? Why not Don Draper? So if Don Draper's idea is to go from uh, for a company with 45,000 different colors of lipstick to one lipstick, how is that wrong if he actually knows that that's the right answer? Like, how is that? How how can anyone prove before they try it that that is the wrong answer? And so, 
Yeah, I, I think it's about, um, I think bravery is about unleashing and shackling yourself from the norms and being unafraid to go in a different way. Well, that brings us neatly uh, to your new book, uh, Boring to Brave. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, why you wrote the book and, and, and what it's all about? Do you remember lockdowns? <laughs> lockdowns were hard, man. They were really hard. Um, we had two children. Um, we had uh, my sister living with us um, for the duration. We had special needs in the house uh, among us. And just like for everybody, it was really, really difficult. It was difficult to get a um, sense of yourself and your own identity within a kind of pack of people surviving in the same small space. And my answer to that was to stay up very late, drink whiskey by the incremental dram, and write a book. And it was something I feel like I've been pushing forever, for a long time. I feel like I've always been the slightly annoying one. In fact, in the office, in the team. Um, and sometimes that's not appreciated, but often it's really appreciated. It's the one uh, actually, the conclusion of the book, the chapter 26 and a half, is literally paying tribute to all the people out there who know their value and are determined to hold on to it at all costs, even in the face of um, lackadaisical inertia or this is the way we've always done it. The people who know they're the only one on the team with a certain perspective and skill set and ability to create something out of nothing. And it's dedicated to them. And it's, you know, I've been, I've been, I realized that I've been that person or championing that take all my career. And maybe I should collect a few stories and see how it felt in a book. Um, and it's done okay. It's, it's been kind of welcomed and um, so far, like enjoyed and, and, and passed on, which is, which is incredible, which is lovely. Well, well done for, for using the lockdown to, to good therapeutic purposes. Some people sort of, became a bit creatively stifled but oh i also did a lot of lazing around and watching tv and scratching my butt i mean no, honestly <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't all it wasn't all you know productivity but yeah well let's drill into it then so what is the criteria for bravery uh, in your title there so uh, looking at b2b what is bravery all about okay so there's like Official definition world, and then there's real world. An official definition world, when you look into it, when you go to, as I did, to three or four different dictionary publications of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the definition of, of bravery, they all talk about um, a readiness to display courage or resolution or daring, stop, or willingness to take pain in the face of uh, hardship, stop. And it was missing something. It was the bit that was missing from the dictionary defin definitions I read was the words, for the better. You know, if you're ready to take on pain or hardship, it needs to be for a point. You're not going to just do it for the sake of it. That, who would do that? So I, I adopted um, an amalgam of, of, um, of three or four definitions and added. So, so, so my definition was a readiness to display courage, resolution, or daring for the better. And if you're going to do something that's going to improve or change things, then all that stuff is worth it. The criteria... I think I said it earlier in a sense. I think the criteria has to include, or the criteria have to include, a willingness to unleash yourself from the shackles of whatever the perceived wisdom or norm is and make yourself look, if not foolish, certainly distinct and different and, and, and have people scratching their chins. 
that's not just about content and output, um, as in the results of something. It can be the smallest of things that make you brave on a day-to-day basis to do with process. So um, demanding everyone slow down to craft something properly when the world needs you to speed up around you. You have to, to be brave, you have to, you have to show yourself to flex a muscle that nobody else was prepared to do. Everybody understands and agrees with why you're doing it, and it might just inspire them to do the same. Because the, one of the lovely things I found about bravery when I started looking into it is that it doesn't just inspire you. It doesn't just inspire growth in your organization or elevate B2B marketing. It does all of those things. But what it also does is it spreads. You flex it. If you don't use the muscle, you lose it. But it's not like a muscle in another sense in that it actually spreads. So every single time somebody sees you being brave, what you're actually doing is laying the path and showing how and giving permission for others to be brave. And you inspire others. And the braver you are, the braver your organization gets because they watch you do it. They go, oh, wow, he really, really stepped into it then and really put his self on the line. But do you know what? It's worked. It's produced a change that's clearly positive, clearly working for us. This is amazing. I, I could do that, you know? And it's a real, it's a, it, you know, toxicity also spreads, by the way. Discouragement and negativity also spreads. And you've got to watch that. Bravery spreads, and it's incredibly powerful. Mm. And and I guess the flip side of that then is playing it safe. Uh, and you said before, uh, this is a quote from you, the preference for safety is a pernicious habit in B2B marketing and results in boring, ineffective work. Safety is a gamble. Can you, can you drill into that for us? Yeah. Do you know what? Safety in B2B marketing isn't even a gamble. I'll go against what I said. It's a dead cert defeat. It's not a gamble. There's no risk. There's no... Um, you know, again, if you try and think about what a gamble is, it's risking something. You're not risking anything. You're just, you're just staring into dead cert defeat because essentially what you're doing by playing it safe is ensuring nobody can spot you. Nobody can notice you. You know, if you think about why somebody would be brave in a B2B setting, why you would make your brand a brave one, even before you get into any detail about how or why or what or to what end or how you're going to... Bravery gets you noticed. It gets you followed. It probably gets you liked or loved. And it gets you remembered for sure. It definitely gets you remembered. And if you think about our core job as marketeers, whether you're an email marketeer or a performance marketeer or a brand marketeer or a content marketer, you know, whatever you are, however you see marketing, our core job is to get our brands noticed and remembered and liked. That's, I mean, we're the popularity department. We're the make everybody love us department. That's what we do. And by being brave, by being, and, I, I, and, and other people have sort of started to own this other idea, this, this kind of, this articulation of that by being human. So I don't want to go into sort of too far into humanizing your brands because other people are doing very, very good work on that. I'm talking specifically about being brave and sounding like a person everybody would want to listen to, read, follow, hear more from, share, because it's funny what you're doing, or because it's really smart, or because it's utterly different. And there's a danger there where you go, serious, serious people, you know, the kind of logical, serious end of business. So in B2B, you might be talking your finance people or your engineer people, your people who think with um, the left side of their brain might think this is all piff and path and might think this is all 
without real merit, without real solid foundation and a little bit, who cares, you know, like, okay, so what, you used a different colour for the brand or whatever. It's deadly serious. It's deadly serious because because as I think you've alluded to when we've um, exchanged emails, there's a, there's a conversation in the book that goes about everybody's got a product. Everyone's got technology. Everyone's got a bullet point list of features. And by the way, everybody has got the ability to claim more than they do and over lean over their skis and sell more than they can actually deliver right now. Everybody's got that stuff. The only thing that can deliver any distinction, any difference, any likelihood of getting on the shortlist of the people that want to buy you is that they remember you, they like you, and you struck something in them. You touched something in them. You... Um, you gave them cause to file you in the back of their mind as one for the future. And that's, you know, that's marketing. That's that's what bravery gets you. Absolutely. Well, before we get into strategies and examples of what you're talking about, I've just got a statistic to throw at you. The B2B Institute and System One declared that 75% of B2B brands produce advertising that contributes zero long-term growth in market share, which is a shocking statistic. What's going on here? That's so rough, isn't it? That is... Stu, that's the reason I wrote the book. We're all writing stuff. We're all s- you leave the house, metaphorically, most of the time now, right? Okay, or you go to wherever you, it is you do your work. And you settle in, you've got your coffee done, you've done your morning. You, that might mean going for a run or getting the kids to school or whatever. You're settled, you're ready to do your work. And for the next eight or nine hours, you're going to contribute your skill and your talent and your commitment and your your sweat effort, your sweat metric, right? You're going to go for it. And most of us, three quarters of us, when we do that, we're going to produce zero results. That is heartbreaking. And that, I mean, that is, if I knew that, if 75, if the right 75%, or in this case, the wrong 75% of people knew that, they'd phone it in, they'd just go back to bed, right? Like, why would you, why would you sit there working that hard and trying that, you know, working across all those different metrics of work to be that good and that special and maybe I'll get promotion this year if you know that what you're doing is going to contribute zero long-term growth it's it's just heartbreaking and so my book and other books in the in the market and other writers and other thinkers what we're saying I guess is let's change that and by the way it should be a pleasure it should it should come as a as a as an advantage uh, or a joy for people to hear that there's, there might be another way because most of the stuff we're writing we bore ourselves we literally are writing boring stuff on the basis that we fooled ourselves into thinking that's what our prospects want to read why not have some fun with it or get really interesting or take a different stance and really light a spark under ourselves so that we can enjoy our day but also i'll tell you what's more shocking than your statistic yours is damning but I read this, um, and I don't know if they'll update it this year because it was February 21, no, 22, February 22 that this came out. It was um, a survey by a firm called Frameworks, and there's two statistics that really bash up against each other, Stu. Get this, right? 73% of B2B marketers say capturing the attention of their audience is harder than it was the year before, right? So 73% of us reckon it's harder to get the attention of the people we're trying to get the attention of than a year ago. Uh, Of the same sample surveyed, 90% of them said they're going to likely take the safe route and try something different. So they're accepting that it's harder to capture people's attention, and yet more of them, 90%, 
are going to more likely play it safe than try something bold. That's insane. That's insane. And I, I, I'm no, you know, I'm not a clever guy or I'm not your thought leader or I'm just somebody who can look at that and go, what the hell? What are we doing? If it's harder to do, why don't we try something different? No, let's just do the same. Got it. Let's go for it. Let's go for the same and let's do it really well this time. It's crazy. And so I've gathered um, some of the best minds in the world, I reckon, um, for my book from every corner of the globe to contribute to and comment on both my thinking and their own on how let's get better and let's do more and let's have more fun and let's let's just make i mean b2b is absolutely enormous it's an enormous sector we create so much wealth but we struggle so hard we do all the all the right things our products are absolutely dynamite um innovation is informing and enriching everybody's lives through every app and technology there is um our client success teams our partnership teams our uh, our engineers our developers our man we do everything really really brilliantly when it gets to the marketing part which is the part where we tell the world about how good we are we do it in a really mediocre fashion there's no need mm. Well, let's move on to some examples then. You've got great case studies in the book about B2B brands that have demonstrated commercial success via creativity. Um, what are the best examples in your mind? There's a digital agency in the States called Cheetah Digital, and they run this conference called Signals. And I came across, I think it was in, I think it was mentioned in a, an article uh, in the drum around um, is B2B getting more daring or whatever. And it was, they had this Signals conference all set up. They had the speakers ready. They had some really, really big names, Jay Bayer and Seth Godin. And if they were doing things normally, they could have just put Seth Godin and Jay Bayer on a screen, filmed them for two minutes going, hey, can't wait to see you at the Signals conference 2020 because uh, I'm going to be there. Listeners, forgive my American accent. Seth, really forgive me. But they, they could have done things normally, right? They could have said, or oh, we're going to have 3,000 people at this conference center. You can't afford to miss it. All the insights, blah, blah, blah. They didn't. They got Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee, who I think, if I'm right with my celeb gossip, I'm not very good at celeb gossip, but I think he used to be married to Pamela Anderson. But he uh, he and his wife, his current wife, Brittany Ferlin Lee, who's this amazing, like, sassy American brilliant like great voice great attitude fills a camera um just brilliant so real genuine rock and roll celebrities acting out kind of little um little segments of pretending that they were going to signals that year so they're in there they're by their pool or in their mansion and they're you know discussing their excitement at the sessions coming up on personalization and omni-channel strategies. And it's genuinely hilarious. And they're very, like, they acted the crap out of it. And they just did such a good job of, you know, and they had, they had, they had sort of, you know, Joe Biden on the phone pretending like, yeah, I'll come to, of course I'll come to your, uh, your, your inauguration. What? Oh no, Joe, I can't make it to your inauguration. Yes. Yeah, Seth Godin's doing something on personalization on the fall. I can't, I can't miss it, you know, and, and, and all this great stuff. So they had, they had some really good jokes and really good acting in there. And it really, really worked out for them because it went everywhere. Like the drum wrote about it here. So people noticed it. 
Similarly, and also weirdly, on the um, on the subject of you know rock and roll or rock music, um, I talk about one of my favourite B two B campaigns. Now, this is as far back as twenty thirteen, but it doesn't get forgotten because it was so cool. So Zendesk, the cloud based customer service platform, um, noticed the marketing team noticed while monitoring search terms that. Um, people were always search. There was this trend. There was this growing trend of people searching for Zendesk alternative. Like they wanted to, they knew about Zendesk, but they wanted to see if there was an alternative out there that was cheaper. So Google was throwing up loads of loads of hits on the search term Zendesk alternative, and they decided to have some fun with it. Um, so they decided to win some organic search traffic off the back of that term Zendesk alternative. So they bought the domain name and they formed this fake struggling rock band called the Zendesk alternative. And if you haven't seen the videos, if you haven't seen the videos on YouTube, they are absolutely gold, right? You've got this kind of, they created a whole empire of um, reality around it. So they presented this ecosystem. They had, they were on, they had a social media presence across Facebook and Twitter and MySpace, and they listed the band on Bandcamp. Um, and they kind of filmed parody videos of their rehearsals in which the band members would be doing band stuff, like playing their songs and arguing over whether the drummer's song was good enough to record. But in between rehearsals, you had band members complaining about customer service software buyers landing on their website and making inquiries, and it was getting really boring. And, and it was so well acted, it was hard to tell whether it was a spoof. And the impact and awareness of that Zendesk alternative, I think ZendeskAlternative.com converted at like a 95% higher rate than the main website. And they scored like, I think famously, they scored like five huge closed deals in the first six months that the company attributed directly to these like burned out rockers in plaid sort of check shirts and jeans, like being all grungy and like the drummer was smoking outside the rehearsals, really unhappy that nobody would take his song, but also like really puzzled, like why people kept asking him about customer service. And it, they, they grew in the market and they drove awareness. And it's that, it's that. Imagine if you could successfully make your living having a bit of fun rather than boring yourself with the stuff that we're writing today. Today, like today, B2B marketers, as they listen to this, there will be some out there that are looking at their latest thought leadership paper, looking at their the, the latest ebook, and looking at their latest list of bullet points that that engineers and developers have have and product marketers have have insisted that they list down the side of their you know. And it's just why are we doing this? Why don't we have like why don't we actually genuinely grow our company do, through doing something different and interesting? Uh, that brings us to uh, the rapid fire part of uh, today's interview. Uh, these are questions that we ask everyone. I kind of have a hunch about which way you're going to go with these, but uh, let me throw them at you. You can respond from your gut and just tell us uh, which one you would choose. Are you ready? I am so ready. <laughs> Here we go. Number one, emotion or rationality? Emotion every time. Logic or magic? Magic every time. Uh, brand building or lead generation? Brand building because it does both. Brand building generates leads. There's no reason to separate them. Brand building, um, I, I'm, I'm aware that marketing has, over the last 30 or 40 years, split itself into hundreds of different parts, and everybody can be a specialist, and that's, there's no nothing wrong with that at all. Um, by being a generalist or having a generalist approach and seeing that through a generalist size, you can often see that doing one 
means another as well. So brand building does not exclude lead generation. So I'll go with brand building. Good answer. Now, the next one, I think everything we've said today probably tackles this. And uh, we spoke about Don Draper at the beginning, but I'm going to ask you anyway, um, what's the problem with B2B right now and how would Don Draper fix it? The problem with B2B, if we had to scale it down to one, Stu, would be we are intimidated and cowed and, as I said, institutionally timid because we have somehow found ourselves uh, in the narrative to be the last thing that happens, the thing that the CEO doesn't really need to care about, just get it done, here's some money, I don't care how, and it's not much money, and it might that money might shrink next year, and the budgets will almost certainly shrink during the year if sales go down, and it's the least important thing. Um, some call it the colouring in department and all that guff that um all that all that those kind of in jokes that sometimes we use about ourselves but others might use about us. We've we've led ourselves to believe that marketing is not the problem. If you go back to what we said earlier, Don Draper is the most celebrated figure in the company. I think at one point um Peggy turns to him and says, you know, we're all here for you. We are all here to serve your you know, to, 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 to elevate you, get the job done. And it's like, in those days, or certainly in that agency, Draper knew that his was the most important thing. And it took time, and it took thought. And when he spoke, you damn well believed him. Um, it's not like that. And so Don Draper would come in. How would he fix it? In a grey suit with slick back hair, a really nice cocktail, and with confidence. By the way, I'm not a Don Draper fan. Like I said, I'm more of a Peggy Olsen fan. But he would fix it, I'm sure. Well, maybe together they could uh, show us the way. Uh, and then finally, uh, putting your book to one side for now, uh, is there another book that you would tell all CEOs to look at? What what book has inspired you uh, before before you wrote your brilliant book? So there's loads of books that have inspired me. So I would say to all CEOs, having read my book already mm-hmm. on the beach in the summer, um, and in keeping with the show, I want to show you this book. I don't know why or when, but I picked it up a long time ago in some kind of sale table of a of a some kind of bookstore. I don't, I don't know where I got it, but I've had it for years and years and years. It's called The Real Mad Men. For anyone who can't see this on video, it's called The Real Mad Men by Andrew Cracknell, himself a copywriter uh, it, from the 60s. And it's the remarkable true story of Madison Avenue's golden age uh, when a handful of renegades changed advertising forever. It is beautiful. Now, I don't know if anyone who's watching this on video can see, but my my copy is well-thumbed and kind of almost falling apart with pages coming out. In it is beautiful, beautiful, not just copy, but really lovely pages and pages of some of the greatest ads ever written, documented by the people that were there at the time, serving the likes of David Ogilvy and Bill Burnback and all those great guys that came into New York at the right time and change things around. Obviously the, um, you know, the, um, you know, the really famous stuff is there. So DDB's Volkswagen Beetle and stuff, but it's, it's the inner story and every chapter, just like I tried to with musicians has got a, um, has got a, a quote by Roger Sterling or Don Draper or Peggy Olsen. So it's, it's kind of humorously tied to the show but it really does show some beautiful examples. And every summer when I used to go on holiday before I had children and reading was an option, I used to take that book with me and sit by the pool for a couple of days just reading it again. And what it used to do for me was send me back to the office and the team and the company after a regenerative holiday. 
sparking with eager determination to find the next creative thing that's going to transform, not move on or hit targets or dial up incrementally, but actually transform our year. And um, and I often found inspiration in there. And I think what it does is it generates, um, for if you're asking about CEOs, I think it's a lesson in where confidence and drive and ambition and, you know, martini and all the rest of it can serve to drive pure golden distinction and commercial success through streetwise, outclassing, outthinking, um, a new, an old or legacy approach. Um, it's a really, really lovely book. Well, what a what a fantastic recommendation to sit alongside as a chaser, perhaps, uh, to your your brilliant book, Boring to Brave, which I'm sure everybody can and should order uh, once they've uh, put their podcast down after this. So all it leaves me to say is, Mark Schwakey, thanks so much for a really deep, fun, insightful chat. It's been brilliant. Thank you to you and good luck to the team. And um, I've really enjoyed it. Great stuff. I'm Stuart Black, and we'll see you all next time on B2B Needs Don Draper. <laughs>